I don't get offended. Feel free to curse all you want. Um, okay. Good. Because I, I think if you listen, if you listen to our uh, <laughs> our podcast, that would be one of my favorite things ever. Actually, was we recently went to the the state of Nebraska, and it was a lot of fun to go. We got to go to their EMS conference and uh, teach a few classes and speak and stuff, and it was meet a lot of people. It was fun. Um, but when they contacted us, uh, we did a little uh, a Zoom meeting just to kind of talk about what we were going to be doing, and uh, the person heading it up was like, "Hey, you know, you're kind of great, but um, so on your show." We noticed that your language is, um, and then someone interrupts, just like, if you could just tone it down where you're actually speaking in front of a crowd, you know, like, yeah, don't, don't worry. Like, we don't get up and uh, start, like, our most recent uh, episode we did with Ashton O'Dell, uh, we opened it up by talking about all the calls where people have put things in their rectum, and we open up with the story about apples, and then we get into a brief discussion about, well, what kind of apple would be the worst to get stuck in your rectum, and we start talking about, like, Red Delicious, and then... This is where we knew Ashton was going to be perfect for the podcast. And she's like, well, Honeycrisps are huge. And if they're in season, they're giant. <laughs> it's just like. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But no, we didn't open any of our, uh, when we when we were live, we didn't open it, uh, open it that way. So. Oh, well, that's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but feel free. You know, I, I want people to see the real side of EMS providers or front health, uh, you know, healthcare workers. And just, I don't want to sugarcoat it. Mm-hmm. Um any any more than it already if we're is. We're talking about apples. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we have to throw a little cinnamon on there too. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh wow! Now you're talking. I know. Um, gosh, the, mm. the story I told—it's a good story. I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to the episode, um, but yeah, there's a a patient goes into a hospital with an apple in his rectum, and he gets some propofol to be sedated, and doctor removes it, and before the guy wakes up, the doctor's like. Whoa. Wait. And he goes and runs to the break room and he grabs an apple and he runs back. And then when the guy wakes up, he's just sitting there eating an apple and be like, oh, got right. it out. <laughs> so yeah, that's, uh, that, that's how the apples came up. So yeah. So if, you know, if, if you guys aren't used to healthcare workers, if that, if your audience isn't, we just talk about rectal fruit nonstop. Mm-hmm. It is, it is, it is what all we talk about, you know? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, your EMT, cause there's several layers of certification, right? You have EMT and then advanced and then paramedic. Uh, EMT is all, rectal stuff and then it moves on from there so and it gets better right (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) i could tell you some stories (laughs) yep and then when you're a paramedic you learn to innovate so you start in the back and you exit through the front that's right nice nice (laughs) i feel like i missed again i've missed a whole it's just i was promised calls that i've never gotten to experience and i Mm -hmm. think at that point that's what makes me upset is that Everyone has a butt story. Um, I think. And I don't, I, I'm just out here not, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm empty handed when it comes to, but just, you know, stuff in the butt. You're um, empty handed. That's, that's yeah. empty the hand. I'm sure you're fruitful in many other ways, my friend. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Well done. Yeah. No. I don't, we got to stop talking about this because I don't want to be, it's like, oh, those are the butt stuff guys. Those are the butt <laughs> stuff guys. Yeah. Sure. The butt stuff guys. <laughs> I won't lie. Butt stuff has made quite an appearance on my show already. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll do, um, I'll do a little intro and then I'll have you guys introduce yourselves okay. and then we can talk more about butt stuff if you'd like. Sure. 
Hey everyone, on this episode of Noon, I'm thrilled to introduce you to a dynamic duo, Chris and Spencer, who have traversed the world of 911 response and climbed their way into the realm of critical care flight paramedicine. Their journey is nothing short of remarkable. What sets Chris and Spencer apart is their shared passion for sharing knowledge and experience. They've channeled this into their highly successful podcast, EMS 2020, which has seen tremendous growth in the recent years and continues to captivate and educate a wide audience. Their podcast isn't just about the EMS call. It's a deep dive into the world of emergency response, breaking down the calls from dispatch to disposition. It offers invaluable sharing from their extensive experience. Join us for this engaging conversation as they share their stories, thoughts, and the remarkable journey of building EMS 2020. Let's get started. All right, Chris and Spencer, thank you so much for joining us on the Noon Podcast today. I appreciate you guys. I know you're so busy and it takes a lot to kind of collaborate the three of us to get all together at the same time. For those of you guys that don't know, these two are the hosts for the EMS 2020 podcast. They have been running for a while now. I'll let them talk a little bit more about uh, their details, but for now, I'd like to get an introduction and we'll go ahead and start with you, Chris, if you don't mind. Yeah. uh, So... My name is Chris. Uh, my last name is Finkston with a silent P, and I have a Hollywood video story I'm going to tell about my name later on. It's near and dear to my heart. But uh, I am a paramedic. I've been a paramedic for a while. I think it's 15 years. Uh, might be more than 15 years. I've been saying 15 years for a while now. Before that, I was an EMT. I basically got my EMT right out of high school. Uh, and currently, I am a flight paramedic on a rotor wing. We both we do both interfacility and scene calls where we land on scene. Uh, and I happen to be the co-host of EMS 2020 and the co-owner of Long Pause Media, along with uh, with Spencer. I'm also taller than Spencer by about an inch and a half. Mm-hmm. Oh. All the vital statistics. Uh, okay, I guess that's uh, my segue. So uh, I'm Boom. Spencer. No silent P. Um, yeah. It's actually it's it's actually rather loud. Uh, Spencer. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, with a, yeah, and Chris is taller, but I'm a much better paramedic, I guess. That's true. That's fine. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Uh, I've been a paramedic for, I don't know, uh, 13 years now. Um, and, uh, yeah. Only 13? Only 13. (laughs) It didn't take me as long to get better than you. Less, uh, less less butt stuff, right, Spencer? Yeah, like, uh, yeah. It, you know, when you don't get the butt stuff calls, uh, turns out you get to go on actual sick people. Did we did we record? Is the butt stuff stuff we talked about earlier? Is, is that going on the episode already, or is that? <laughs> no, it's just out of nowhere, man. I yeah. can, I can sure. add it in if you would like to. <laughs> no, I mean it, it, it's your it's your call. I just uh... it's it's going to be a regular callback at this point. So uh, oh, yeah, I know. we talked about apples. We talked about rectums. Yep. See, I don't think apples. the apples and the rectums made it, but the butt stuff did. So. Yeah. Nice. It just, next time someone comes up and says, well, we're not really comparing apples to oranges here, I'm going to be like, oh, but we can. But we can. <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, like Chris, I'm also a flight paramedic, and uh, I'm the, uh, well, he's the co-host. I'm the main host of uh, <laughs> 2020, and sure. uh, the, yeah, uh, <laughs> long pause media owner. Uh, so, yeah. Co-owner. Yeah. Co- oh yes yes yeah co-owner Co- yeah make sure yeah. you get it right okay i don't want, i don't want any fights guys <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> I'm a little bit worried because normally if he gets like the upper hand on me, like when we're talking and kind of sparring back and forth, I can just edit it out because I do all the editing. I just be like, no, I won this argument. Just change it. <laughs> but I can't, I can't do that today. <laughs> I guess you got to step up on your wits just a little bit. I don't know if it's going to happen. We'll see. That's okay. I know you guys have had a long day. Oh, it hasn't been too bad. We did just get to do another, uh, we did another collab before this, but this one's nice because someone else is kind of running the show and we just have to sit back and talk. And this is just kind of fun, actually. So that's right. And that's how I want, I want it to be relaxed and laid back. Um, mm -hmm. How long have you guys owned? I'm sorry, Long Pause Media? Is that what it was called? Yeah, the company, I think, has only been for, for a handful of months itself, but we've been doing uh, EMS 2020 for three years now. Yeah. More than three years. Yeah. A little bit over three years. Yeah. Um, we talked about the company for a long time, but we're both ADD, yeah. you know? And so it's like, yeah. Yeah. I feel that. I feel that way too yeah. hard. Uh, <laughs> were you guys friends before you started recording for the show or did you guys just meet or how does that work? Uh, no, we weren't friends. We're still not friends. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm just kidding. That's <laughs> no, true. Thanks we for actually... the clarification. <laughs> <laughs> no, we actually knew each other in high school. Oh, wow. Uh, so like yeah. two years ago? Yeah. <laughs> right. I wish I actually just turned 39. Uh, so 40 is just right in front of me like a fucking bus. Um, but um, I feel you. No, we we knew each other in high school, but we didn't really hang out. Um, like I knew his name and he knew my name. Uh, I was a senior, I think when uh, I think I was a grade ahead of him. And so, uh, yeah. And then we met again in a tech rescue class as we were both doing prereqs to get our paramedic. And I was working for an ambulance company at the time. And I think I think I was on the ambulance side, but this company had both a, like a wheelchair service and an ambulance side. And I think I was on the ambulance side at that point. And I was like, and I told Spencer, well, you gotta come work uh, for us because I get a headhunter's fee. And uh, he did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And mm -hmm. I got a and I got I got my little headhunters reward, which is which is great. And he worked out. And then we both kind of we both kind of went the same path actually in that company. So I went, yep. got, I was an EMT on an ambulance side, got my paramedic, got my senior paramedic, did the field training officer thing, then became a field supervisor, then an operations supervisor. And then I think, Spence, you did the exact same thing up until field soup, right? And then you couldn't cut it. Is that? Yeah, no, that's 100% <laughs> it. I, uh, I went, yeah, no, thank you. I don't want mm -hmm. this. And uh, I quickly yeah. went to flight and then uh, I, you know, pulled, uh, tried to pull Chris into it for a while. I resisted, but then eventually I caved. It's true. What yeah. made you take so long? To go to flight? Mm -hmm. Oh, the money where I was at was pretty good. Um, and I didn't think flight was going to match because the way the flight company we work for presents your wage to you isn't isn't all of what you get. They give you kind of a base rate that doesn't really include things like the OT and bonuses and stuff like that um, because those things aren't really guaranteed. But the amount of OT you can get in flight, see, flight's interesting. You're either off exactly on time or you're off five to seven hours late because you're stranded mm -hmm. at an airport somewhere because your pilot timed out. Because the FAA says, you know, you got 14 hours of fly time. That's it. And once you hit that 14 hour mark, like you can't fly. So it's common that we'll have a patient that needs to be flown somewhere and then you fly somewhere. It's like, okay, because if we can get the patient there, we'll do it, right? Because they need to get there. Um, but we may not have enough time to fly back. And so all of a sudden, you know, helicopter go fast. And so it doesn't take very long to get very, very far away from home. Uh, and so then you get stranded, you have to like drive back or some crazy stuff like that. So, yeah. yeah. So, but anyway, but um, I ended up going over to the flight agency that both Spencer and I are at. 
and um, it was a big leap of faith. But between the the benefits package is better, and the uh, the pay at the end of the year ends up working out. To, I mean, just very very much the same as what I was making. And I've only been at this company for three years versus yeah. I was at the other agency for a very long time, like 12, 13, 14, 15 years. I don't know. I don't remember. I struggled to, I struggled with a switch too. And that was like, I wanted yeah. to, I really wanted to, but I, you know, I was, uh, it's, it, I think there's a comfort in like the devil, you know, you know, right. Um, yes. But like there was a lot of things that I did not like about the ambulance company that I was working at. But at the same time, like, hey, that paycheck pays for the, you know, the apartment that I was living in with my wife and my kids. And, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. like there was a lot of opportunity to just work yourself to death if you wanted to. And, uh, yep. you know, they would say, hey, man, work life balance. But like, also, we need you to pick up this shift. Um, <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, to go into a different career where you don't really, you know, like you you kind of know i i don't know maybe like i knew that i was good at what i was doing on the ground ambulance like i was not worried about my job as a paramedic but it's kind of scary to take that additional step because there is a part of you know like i don't know there's a part of me that goes like i might think i like this and then i might not like yeah, i might right. not be good at this um you know, because some there's a steep learning curve. You know, like I always want to when I start something new and I really want to be good at it, I almost want to like fast forward six months to when I'm not uncomfortable anymore yeah. and I don't feel like an idiot. You know, like <laughs> yes, yeah, I get that. Yeah, so I, you know, like I, I can I can totally relate to the same thing that like you know, and I think a lot of people go through that where they're like, yeah, man, this is different. Am I gonna like this? is this going to, you know, like, is this going to expose me as an idiot or, you know, like, and ultimately, you know, like I, 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 I am so glad I, I transitioned into this career. So. Yeah. So did you have any, any ultimate idiot exposure moments when you started? Um, I, I think one of the things that for me, uh, I learned, and this is sort of a, you know, know yourself, uh, cause you're typically your own worst enemy. I didn't realize how much of my ambulance operations was just partially muscle memory. You know, like you do not think about where you put your keys or how where you put stuff or how you kind of have a process for a call. And so it is difficult or it's difficult for me uh, uh, to, I guess, start a new process with a, you know, like, all right, here's a new operational you know, mode and pathway that you have to work in. Uh, you've got these pumps, you've got this extra equipment, you've got these extra operational things that you have to keep in mind. Um, and you have an expanded scope of care um, and, you know, the dynamic of working with another person. Um, so did I leave a ton of equipment places? Fuck yeah, I did. And, uh, you know, like <laughs> embarrassingly so. Where you didn't by chance like, leave a uh, paperwork on a helipad once, did you? Oh, oh, that yeah. Oh, <laughs> man. I, and I was working with like the meanest fucking yeah, just guy by ever. <laughs> yeah. you know? And uh, you know, he he was he, he just had no patience and no communication skills, and so he was just like, "You're leading this patient," and I, I like you know, and I'm I don't know a week into this, I have no idea what's going on. I'm just like, okay, uh, and we he just, <laughs> we just kind of rush out of the hospital. 
and I'm trying to get paperwork signed. You know, we have forms that need to mm -hmm. get signed and we get to the roof and he's yelling at the security guards to like how they're doing it wrong and loading the patient. And I, I find, you know, like I set stuff down, I get the patient loaded, he gets in and I get in and we take off and he looks at me and goes, Hey, where's the paperwork? And I just, I went, Oh, like, Oh no. And I'm just sitting there. You can't hear you're in your helmet. So it's almost like you're in your room. And I'm just like in my room talking to myself, like, well, what are we going to tell him? Because <laughs> that's not going to be good. Well, uh, I actually know exactly where the paperwork is. Yeah. And, uh, oh, my favorite part is yeah, it's, it's back there <laughs> where we took off. Uh, it's wherever the rotor wash left it. That's where it is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And so he goes like, ah, oh, well, at least we can get a consent and, you know, like we can get a, a CMN form signed there. And what I didn't tell him, and I decided at that moment I wasn't going to let him know, was that not only did I leave all the patient's paperwork, I left every extra copy of paperwork that we kept in our kits <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> with it. So we, like, there was no way to get any of the things that he was trying to, like, it's fine. We'll, like, we, we can go forward. And I was just like... No, I'm not going to tell him. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll wait to unveil that particular mystery. <laughs> we'll figure that out later. We call that a HIPAA tornado as you want to take off and yeah. just, uh, yeah. oh gosh. Uh, my biggest learning curve moment was, uh, I think I'd been a supervisor for so long at my previous job that this is going to sound bad, but it's true. I got really used to not being questioned in the sense of like, if I arrived on scene, I was an experienced paramedic in the area. A lot of people knew me. Um, generally, I didn't murder patients outright. So, you know, people, I think at least thought of me as average, maybe a little better sometimes. Uh, and, but then I get to flight and your scope is expanded and people are evaluating you again. And what I wasn't used to is I hadn't been new. I hadn't been a new guy for, you know, some 14, 15 years. And uh, I was new again, you know, and, and people are, are watching you, they're measuring you and all this stuff, but I wasn't used to being measured. And so one of the things that I got really uh, good at in my previous job, and one of the things that, and I'm kind of proud of this, is I, I was known for being able to make a decision and move a scene forward. And that was kind of, like I talk a lot about being being PIC on the, on the EMS 2020 podcast in the sense that I don't see PIC as being the smartest guy in the room. That's not what being a, a, a person in charge really is. Uh, the PIC, at their best moments, the PIC is a conduit for information. And I got really good at being that conduit. And then I get to this new agency and people don't know me. Uh, they don't, people don't just give you that kind of trust. And so I wasn't used to having to earn trust again. And so um, I found myself, so I would say, all right, um, why don't we do this? And they'd be like, okay. Why do you want to do that? And I would immediately doubt myself when someone said that. Because no one had said that to me in a long, long time. <laughs> yeah. And what and what I wasn't aware of is they're not telling me I'm wrong. They just want to know what my thought process is. And I'm just and they would say that. I'd immediately be like, oh crap, they think I'm wrong. Get another answer. You know, and so that it'd be kind of and then I would uh, you know, end the call and I'd be like, they'd be like, hey man, how do you think that went? And I'm like, well, it felt terrible. And they were like, well, yeah, but like, it seemed like you knew what you were doing. And then you kept second guessing yourself, which hit me hard because that was what I was known for not doing. 
was second yeah. was you know was stalling and doing the second guest loop and that kind of stuff but that's what i started doing because again i wasn't used to being evaluated but that said i do have to tell you my greatest moments yes um, i had my my first time like on a helicopter it was in an aw119 which is a fast helicopter but it is a small helicopter i am mm. not you can't really tell on this i'm i'm not a small person i'm six foot five uh and broad-shouldered and um which is actually funny because a lot of my friends like, aren't you too tall to get into a helicopter? I'm like, well, you're going to find out call one, right? Like if they fire that thing up and I don't make it to the inside and there's just a red mist, then yeah, I'm too tall. But <laughs> generally speaking, no, I'd fit fine. But anyway, um, and I was so green and this this is one call and I just managed to just like, like you ever see that meme where the guy's like riding the bicycle and then he sticks a stick in his own spokes? Yes. That was me 19 times in one call. So we get out there and they had taught us how, so one person stands outside the helicopter to make sure it doesn't catch fire in the engine or something like that. You know, the pilot will look at you and say, starting engine one, you go, okay, engine one. You go, starting engine two, you go, okay, engine two. And you go, look at engine two. And then you get in. And they taught us how to do that with the helicopter off. Well, this is my first time doing it with the helicopter on and we're launching, I'm like, okay, I got it. I'm gonna do it. I know all the steps. I know all the little ones, twos, thumbs up. No, you know, that kind of stuff, I'm set. And, uh, but I'd never done it with a live helicopter before with my helmet on. And so now I'm deaf inside of a man-made hurricane trying to remember what to do. <laughs> and what I didn't realize was my breast pocket, because the, the flight suits had two pockets like this, as my breast pocket was opened and I had my nut pad in there. And the last thing you do before you get in the helicopter is you look underneath the helicopter. And so I did that and it falls out. And of course, and it doesn't end up blowing around because not pulling pitch, but now I'm scrambling for crap all over the ground around this helicopter, shoving it all back into my pocket and I get in. We take off, we do this call, lots of blood involved in this call, and I have blood all over my boots. And uh, I'm the third person on this helicopter. And so the nurse and the paramedic are like, hey man, we need you to sit up front. This is a really critical patient. We don't really know you. I, I need the two best people back here. We'll talk to you later. I'm like, okay, no worries. So I sit up front with the pilot and the pilot keeps, and I forget to plug in my helmet. So your helmet plugging in, that's your key to communication. So when you jump in, you have to find the plug. Well, everything I trained on was an EC-135. This is an AW-119. I can't find the plug-in. And so the pilot, uh, he's pointing down at my feet because what I don't realize, my bloody feet are stepping all over his jacket. And oh, so no. I pick up the jacket and I'm like, uh, and I just like drop it right on the collective which is a really important thing in a helicopter. The collective is the up and down stick. Yeah. So the pilot takes it and just throws it back on my feet. He grabs my plug and he plugs it in and he goes, put your seatbelt on so we can leave. I don't know how to put the seatbelt on. <laughs> I feel like the guy in backdraft and I can't get anything right. So finally get that clicked in and we go. Um, and I'm thinking like, well, this pilot thinks I'm the biggest jackass in the world. So we land later on in the day. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to go check out everything in the helicopter from the tail rotor to the nose. Like I'm going to go be the good studious new guy that I am. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to do the PPE bag. And we have this system called operative IQ where we use it to, it's, it's just a system, an inventory system that says what's in each bag. And so I'm going to do the personal protective equipment bag. And I grab this bag from the helicopter. I open it up. I see an enemy five mask atop. I'm like, okay, this is the PPE bag. I zip it up. I go back inside. I open it. I grab the mask out and I look. And this is right around the time that everybody has decided to come into the crew room and just start BSing, including that pilot. Mm -hmm. And I pull out this enemy five mask. I have OIQ open and I'm looking to start checking stuff off. And all of a sudden I hear he goes, dude, what are you doing with my bag? 
And I look over at him <laughs> and I look back at the bag and I open it up and I see there's like a bunch of personal shit in there too. There's like a jacket and like all this stuff. I had grabbed his bag and started like rummaging through it. And so at this point, like I looked at him and thankfully one of the people in there I actually knew really well from a previous job. I look back at him and I go, well, why do you have a gun in your bag? And that's all I could think of to say in front of like all these people. Thankfully, everybody laughed and we were set. But anyway, that was my first flight ever was that one right there. <laughs> so. so you soiled his jacket with your bloody boots and then proceeded yes. to go through his personal belongings. Mm -hmm. After I threw the jacket onto the controls of the helicopter. Yeah, sounds like you made a really good first impression. The thing is, though, is that guy ended up being really cool. And like, he's one of my favorite people there. And and I asked him about the day. He goes, oh, yeah, you were super green, man. It was really funny. And uh, so so it ended up being a OK. But yeah, yeah, that was that was that was it. Yeah. Lots of doubt. Those first couple uh, those first few months there. That's for sure. That's awesome. It, it's it's fun when you have new people because um, like I think new people, you know, like 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 Chris and like myself, you know, it's it's like I do not want to look like an idiot, but everyone else is yes. just kind of like, hold on, watch them start the helicopter and like walk around the outside <laughs> and like they just they look like a cat that just got dunked in water, you know? They're they're yeah. just like, what is what's going on, you know? And uh, then they're trying not to, you know, they're trying to play it off like, oh, it's. No, definitely this is not a new experience. Um, you know, but no, it, it is. It's totally a pro. Yeah, it's it's you know, it's kind of overwhelming at first. Um, you know, it like, really can be. It's it, it's it just is loud. <laughs> I would say that it's pretty overwhelming in almost any uh position in EMS. Did you guys see yourselves becoming flight paramedics when you started out? Chris. No. No? Yeah. I uh no. I, uh, I I had no intent. I I really I thought I was gonna do the ambulance thing, and and like I started out wanting to be an an EMT and a paramedic because uh, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I figured that would at least be an interesting college job, you know like uh, I you know like people would go like oh I worked at Starbucks and you know not to put down anybody who works at Starbucks but I'd be like. Yeah, yeah, sorry, professor. I uh, couldn't get that paper written. Uh, I was saving someone's life last night. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, I just thought it'd be an interesting job. Uh, and then, uh, you know, uh, I went and did a ride along, and I was like, "Oh my god, these people are fucked in the head, just like me. Like this yeah. is. These are the people. <laughs> they're angry. They're ranting about shit. Like they're funny, but in that like." I'm not sure. I want to laugh, but I'm not sure if laughing will make you mad. But like you're saying this like stuff in a very funny way. Yeah. Um, and it just I was like, yeah, these are this is where I belong. And I didn't. Uh, yeah, I didn't. You know, it's like, why would I go fly around in a helicopter? That's for the people who like are really like or happy like, who are. Yeah. Like who. <laughs> who the deserve high achievers, it yeah. right yeah that's yeah. the high achievers it's sort of like you know they're like oh you should become a firefighter and i just went like ah i don't want it that like i was told i did fire science in high school and they were like it's going to take like 10 years of really trying to become a firefighter and i felt like i could i guess and then yeah. i just kind of did the mental math where i was like well if i'm bringing i could i guess to the table when there are people who are literally flying around the country taking tests to like get a fire job, I probably shouldn't 
pursue that because that's like I could I guess isn't the attitude yeah. that that's gonna yeah. get me hired you know so <laughs> yeah. I uh I figured I'd just, just do a be a paramedic until I uh grew up and figured out what I wanted to do you know it, it's funny because I actually started out wanting to do the fire thing um mm. and then I started kind of doing things then I got into the transport side my 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 thought was that with the ambulance company that you and I worked for I would figure I'm like I'm gonna use this to build experience and then apply for a fire job and just go that way. Um, but I started making really decent money at that ambulance company. Uh, and I found that I really enjoyed transport and the fire, the fire side of things. Well, you know, it really depends on what department you, you work at. Like Spencer and I have said many, many times over is that if you've seen one EMS system, then you have seen one EMS system. So I'm not speaking on behalf of all fire services, but the fire services generally in my area didn't have a lot of patient contact time in the terms of they were generally there at the start of the call, but they didn't really transport. And I kind of saw I'm like, well, the majority of the treatment that I'm doing, a lot of the treatment is all in that transport and getting to see it start from, from seeing all the way to the hospital. And then you keep going back to those hospitals, talk to the nurses, get to kind of find out what happened. I really liked that more and I didn't want to lose that. Uh, and the agency at the time was paying me certainly because to me, like the amount of money you make just needs to support the lifestyle that's going to make you happy. You know, the, the end number doesn't really matter. And so if you're, you know, if you're making 70, 70 grand, but that's, that's enough for you to have, uh, to be happy and have security, then that's, that's the amount of money you need. You don't need the six figure job, you know, six figure salaries, uh, you know, and, and 70 grand is, I mean, that's to some people I'd be like, oh, it's more than I need, you know, that could be, but, um, anyway. Yeah, and so I kind of stuck with it, um, but it's kind of funny. Like, so I stuck with the transport side of things, and then um, I became a, a supervisor and got into the management portion. And there are things about that that I really, really loved, and there are things that I got to do and perspectives on systems that I got to see that have shaped me as a paramedic. But having that be my primary focus and my primary job uh, was kind of killing me a little bit, and so uh, it just kind of got to a point where. It was untenable. You know, I, I just, I, I didn't want to do it. To be really upfront with you, I was really good at systems. I was really good at designing policies and those kind of things. Overall though, being a supervisor, uh, what, as one person once described to me, I was either the best supervisor or the worst supervisor. I was never in between. <laughs> and I didn't want to do that anymore. You know, I, I, there were some parts of being a supervisor I was really, really good at and there are other parts I just was not good at. And I didn't like not being good at all my job. You know, I mean, you don't have to be the best at every aspect of your job, but, you know, I, I at least wanted to be either really good to, okay, average, you know, not either really good or something. So I was just terrible at, you know? Yeah. And, um, but yeah. And then after a while, I think that was just, that was just that. So being able to go to flight and going to a company where we kind of have a similar focus by that, I mean, like my company, my company that I work at now really, really, really cares about you as a clinician. Like that, that's their whole thing. Like, it's like, yeah, you have to be a quality clinician because we advertise, you know, critical care transport and all these things. And when you guys drop in the scenes, like there are hospitals that call you because they're overwhelmed and they expect you to be able to drop in and kind of save the day. And that's at the hospital. And it's like, okay. And they really care about that. And they train you hard. And it was just kind of like, yeah, like this is why I got into this stuff. You know, like this is why I became a paramedic. And it's just in line with kind of my own core values. And so, I'm getting along uh, really well at the current company I'm at, and I love being there. So that's awesome. I was going to say, I, I I think the problem with being a uh, former supervisor myself, although albeit uh, admittedly not as uh, not at all as good, um, one of the <laughs> things that sucked 
uh, about being a supervisor is like, I, I like, you know, like the goal of the supervisor is to serve the crews, you know, like your job is to go out there yes. and make it so that they can do their job easier. You know, like you, your job is to facilitate their function. And sometimes the upper management they you you essentially have to do the opposite of that um and that that really became very difficult to like you know we we all have to find some kind of balance and you know at a certain point like okay this is a one-off this is a one-off this is a one okay there's yeah. a lot of offs here yeah. <laughs> and it's hard to square that and to be able to sleep at night um and to enjoy the job because if you know, half of your job is doing something that you, you just disagree with. Um, then it, then like, you're just, you just end up angry all the time and, uh, frustrated because now you are, you know, you're getting yelled at from one end by people who are, you know, understandably upset about system problems that they, you know, like you should feel, they, they feel you should have the power to correct and you're being yelled at by the other side uh to make that problem worse <laughs> you yeah. know yeah. Uh, and it becomes really difficult to square that so uh yeah um, also my wife hated uh that i worked there and uh so when i was like hey far more dangerous job actually pays a lot less also i have to drive two hours away you good with this uh that was essentially they're like you know what i i hate the country you work for enough to like yeah like let's just do that <laughs> uh you know not not in any defense i'm not necessarily trying to detract from anything yeah, yeah, yeah. but what what are the other the ambulance industry is actually a rough industry and i think there's a there's a conception that uh okay it is true that in a lot of ways uh the management and executives in a lot of different ambulance companies could be definitely doing better and there are things that we could do to make things better that generally aren't either for generally i would imagine for lack of knowledge but um that aside, even some pretty best case scenarios, it's not an easy industry to get into. And so yeah. sometimes you had to deliver news or talk to employees about, you know, why we do things a certain way. And uh, for example, uh, we'd have, you know, a uh, cruise would call be like, hey, we're on an inter-facility transport. We're taking someone to a doctor's appointment. It's a stretcher doctor's appointment, whatever it is. And they don't have a bed here for them. So they need us to stay with the patient so they can use our gurney. Mm -hmm. And as a supervisor, you have to tell them, like, I'm sorry, you got to put that patient back in the ambulance and take them back. And what would happen is crews would be like, dude, like, that's horrible customer service for this patient. Like, that's terrible. And they have to be like, all right, I got to paint the scenario for you here. Uh, we are the largest ambulance company in the area. We do more interfacilities and have the capacity to do more interfacilities than any other ambulance company in the area. And so it, if we allow this to happen, because it happens habitually, by the way, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it it, does. It, this, this happens chronically. If we just let people do this, I mean, you're t we're talking about a call that should take an hour for you is now going to take three hours. So what you want me to do, because you're going to stay there for an hour and you're going to have like an hour transport back, you know, yeah. like, so what, what you want me to do is you want me to, instead of cancel one patient's appointment, you want me to cancel the next two. Because there are, because our, our area is so busy that we are literally stacked every single hour. We're overbooked. 
And you could say, well, we shouldn't be taking those the, those calls. We should be not telling people. It's like, okay, well, then they can get to no appointment at all because there's no one else in the area that has this capacity either. Everybody yeah. is overbooked. The system is overbooked. So and, and I, I want to point out, by the way, yeah. that the, the tactic, it, like, it's amazing how fucking beds will suddenly like we don't have a bed and oh like, yeah well we're leaving with this person because like we cannot stay you know and all of a sudden a bed appears out of yes. nowhere or <laughs> I, I but i've had times where it hasn't been and we've had to take the patient back and i get yeah. it when you're on the ground it is so hard to understand that because you have to deliver the bad news that first like hey we we have to take you back and they blame us that, that that's what i'm saying yeah. I Everything know. comes back on the shoulders of the ambulance company and then specifically me because I'm the one saying like, hey, you got to do this. It's like, no, like the problem is the facility lied because we specifically asked if there'll be a bed at, the, bed at the other end. They will say either, oh, yeah, I totally asked when they didn't ask. They forgot to ask. Or they'll just lie and say they, they do have one. And then we get there. And there are some facilities where this happened again and again. So I know, like, I know, you know, you know, <laughs> like, like yeah. the we, we've had this conversation. Um, and so either the facility lied uh, or they forgot to check. And it's like, no, we asked ahead of time, you know? And here's the thing is we had options where you could pay for us to stay there. And that would happen too. People would be like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll pay the weight, the, the weight rate. It's like, no, that's not the point. Like I can't yeah. do it now because I haven't built it into the schedule. You can't just be like, well, I'll pay you money. And it's like, well, no, because, <laughs> okay, do you want to pay the fee for the next two patients? Like how much are you willing to spend? You know, like yeah. it's anyway, so that's a rant, but yeah, it, it got hard to be in that position of not just doing things that management wanted us to do that we didn't agree with, but also being the bearer of bad news of what is essentially a failing system. Yeah. yeah and a, a failing system everywhere. All of the systems are failing, but since you yeah. guys have both kind of talked about a lot of that failure and, and, you know, being put in bad spots, do you guys have any regrets or things that you would have changed in your time on the ground or in flight? Hmm. Ah, hmm. Tough question, I know. That yeah. is a tough question. Well, I, you know, I, I think for myself, the, the answer is no, because, you know, like the, the, this, this is an adventure. Uh, this, you know, this, this life is an adventure. And, uh, sometimes the brie cheese comes with crust and you just eat the <laughs> crust and you go, I don't like this crust. I like the soft, gooey center of this brie cheese. And, but you know, like the cheese comes with the crust. That's, that's how it is. And you just, I don't know, like every experience, you know, like I, you don't try and avoid failures. You shouldn't try and avoid failures. You should fail and you should do things should and fail. fail because then you go, oh, I, I didn't like that. Or, oh, I learned from that. And so like, I learned from my time being a supervisor that while there are pieces of that job that I really enjoy, um, there are a lot of other, you know, like th there's just sort of, I don't know, the what I call the boring stuff, you know, like, oh, I have to deal with the schedule. Oh, I have to fill these, you know, try and figure out these sick calls. Oh, there's, you know, there's a customer complaint that I have to investigate, you know, like there, there's just these pieces that I didn't find, I found I wasn't really passionate about. Um, and so, uh, you know, like I use that information going forward when management spots open up at this job to go, no, I don't want to do that. Like right. I've, nope. I have tasted from that drink and uh, you know, and it's hard because like people, 
you know, people tell me, they're like, oh, you would be good at this. And it, it, and there's this, you know, like I, I want to live up to the potential that people see, you know, like it feels good to be told that like, oh, you are the prettiest, you know, like it, it feels right. nice. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you should consider this job more money, you know, more, you know, and, and then I you just go like, no, I've done that before. Uh, and you get that, you put that fucking evil away from me. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, um, I mean, I hate to say like, yeah, me too. What he said was great, but, um, yeah, it, it, it's kind of the same because I mean, I think about hard times I've had in the job, but I also think about like, well, yeah, like what decision would I have made uh, differently? I mean, there, there are certainly some decisions I think I would have made differently if I'm talking about like individual things, you know, but, um, overall in terms of my overall life path, I mean, becoming a supervisor and being in that leadership position exposed me to a lot of system information and how systems work and challenges systems face at every level that I would have never known staying in the field. And I guess that's kind of one of my main messages to a lot of field personnel. You do have a view of management and the system from the field perspective, but it's a view through a straw. And mm -hmm. it's, you know, so you can kind of get a general glimpse of, okay, there's something on the other side, but until you are on the other side of that straw and really looking at all the systems in play, uh, and after you've signed a lot of non-disclosure agreements, uh, you tend to learn uh, a lot yeah. about how things are run and where the different barriers and blockades are. And yeah, I don't think I would trade that experience for anything because the way it's helped me moving on is that now in my current job, when an email or a change or something comes down down the road or we get a dispatch direction that, that we don't agree with, having been on the other side, I kind of know like, well, you know, don't don't get mad yet. You know, like yeah. this, there are reasons that this might make sense that you're just not aware of. And it has helped me give my own leadership the benefit of the doubt a lot, where maybe my coworkers kind of like jump off the ledge a little bit. I could be that guy who was mm -hmm. like, hey, look, I'm not saying that this is perfect. Um, but you know, there there may be a sunny side to this that we just can't see from our angle, or, or this may be more logical than than how they're communicating. And so, uh, yeah, being in those positions has given me a, a lot of perspective. So uh, particularly when it comes yeah. to, to dispatch, there is a unspoken mm. hatred towards dispatchers uh, from the field personnel, and it does go the other way. Like having been yes, in that dispatch does. office and <laughs> listening to dispatchers talk about crews uh, and that kind of stuff, well, they, they messed us up on purpose. No, they didn't. <laughs> you know, like that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, yeah, that was uh, that that yeah. that was a, a an invaluable experience because sometimes that'll happen now, and people will be like, "God, oh, we can't possibly be the closest helicopter to this." You know, it's like. Well, here, here's what I can promise you is that we probably are. It's like, well, what's what's yeah. this other base doing? They're probably on a call, you know, like yeah. that's, trust me, they're not sitting there like, screw the space. I don't care if it's going to make us late. There is a closer base, but screw it. I want my own numbers to look terrible because I don't like those people. Like that's not right. What's yeah. I think it's I think it's really easy to point the finger from our positions, you know, and like kind of like you were saying, we don't get the ability to see the entire picture. Right. So things that we think aren't fair necessarily, it's not true because, like you said, there are yeah. usually logistical reasons for those decisions that are being made. You know, I can yeah. say one of the things that uh, the company that Spencer and I shut the fuck up, Spencer. Uh, yeah, that's one right. of the, <laughs> sorry. One of the things I can say that the. Uh, 
<laughs> the, uh, the company I was with her and I both worked at is um, one of the systems that they, they, one of the things they did really, really well is that the, the, the comm center, the communication center had a communication center floor supervisor. And then you would have us, uh, we would be the operations supervisor and you had comms and you had operations. And we, our job was to basically make sure the operation was solid enough so that comms had the resources to be able to run the calls that came in. And that's how that worked. And so comms didn't really trouble, trouble themselves with making resources available. They just troubled themselves with assigning stuff, which was great. And it was my job to make sure resources were available. I, I would say my number one job as a supervisor was to reduce out of service unit time. And that was the number one job, whether that was a sick call, put them out of service, uh, some kind of, uh, you know, mechanical issue, whatever. My, my job was to tackle that. And what was great about that is I often got phone calls. What we didn't do is the crews weren't able to call dispatch directly uh, unless it was, I mean, you could, but it needed to be for something like, I need some more info on a call, like something at the task at hand. You could not call dispatch to be like, why am I getting this assignment? Yeah. Uh, they could call me. And I'd be like, all right, go ahead and continue on the assignment. I will get onto this. I call the floor supervisor, we talk it through. I will say with rare exception, I would probably say 95% of the time. So one in 20, I would call in, they'd be like, oh shit, you know what, you're right. We do have a better unit for that. 19 out of 20 times, it was almost always dispatch had made the correct decision. So, yeah. which I know there's, and the best, the reason I say that is the best part is that field crews would vehemently and emphatically believed that that was not the case. They Many yeah. field crews felt very strongly that they knew there was a better option, that this could have been done in a better way. And I'm here to tell you, if you're a field crew listening to this, uh, I don't know your specific system, but I know enough about the system that I was in that I would say, give them the benefit of the doubt, explore the other options, and it can help you a lot. Like, it's it still sucks to have to go on a call when you're really, really busy, but it sucks a lot less if you think you're going on the call because you have to and not because someone just hates you or is incompetent. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, 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 yeah. it's a lot better emotionally. You'll make it through better if you can be like, hey, we're all in this yeah. together. Because I always feel there's three people on the ambulance, right? You have the senior paramedic, the junior paramedic, or the junior partner, and then you have the dispatcher. That's really your crew of three every time you go to a call. And your dispatcher's there for you. They generally should be. It's not always perfect, but they are trying their best to make sure the call gets done. And that's what you're there for too. So anyway. I, I think there's also kind of a, like, there's a misunderstanding of the difficulty of that job too. You know, it's, oh, not, just, it's not just like, oh, uh, I'm going to click this guy and we're just going to move him over here. It's, you know, like there, it's a sea of information that gets flooded in. Like you, you, your call is often not the only call that they're dealing with, even if it feels that way, like, oh, it's dead quiet. Like they've got other jobs to do. And so when you add weird oddities into things, like you add, uh, you know, other factors that aren't really accounted for, like that's usually the best plan that they can just generate forward. Um, and it's not, you know, it's not meant to, you know, like, it, you know, so there's people like, oh, this dispatcher fucking hates me uh they, they might but i <laughs> they guarantee might. <laughs> they are not like they are not like chris said like going out of their way to screw you over they're probably just trying to put together the best test or the best plan that they can and it it might be a garbage plan but the amount of work that it would take to change that garbage plan that has been set in motion 
um, when it really doesn't otherwise, like, it's like, oh, it, it might suck for you a little more, but operationally, we're okay with that. Like, that, right. that's just what's going to happen. Well, and you calling and complaining yeah. about it just adds another factor to it. So, you know, it's like, if you, if there's a safety issue, if there is some kind of patient care concern, then like, yeah, voice, speak your voice. But if it's like, well, yeah. I don't want to do that because I've worked hard a lot and I don't want to, I don't want to go, then, you know, like, my uh, one of our pilots told us there's a two prong test, and it's this: does it make sense, and does it make you happy? And if it does either of those things, it won't happen. <laughs> that, that is that, that is a fun joke. Uh, well, one of the things, the other things I, I would also point out when we're talking about dispatchers is dispatchers make a lot of decisions per minute. Uh, yeah. You know, they're they're I, I would say they're smaller decisions than say to innovate or not to innovate. You know, but, mm -hmm. the, but generally speaking, in terms of the volume of decision decisions, it's a lot. And one of the ways I would describe, you know, being in a dispatch center, you know, where they have three to four monitors surrounding them is it's kind of like having three to four speakers constantly blasting info at you and you have to respond. Mm -hmm. And what I would say is that, you know, dispatchers are going to make a thousand decisions in a day. They're going to get one or two of them wrong. And unfortunately, yeah one or two of those decisions are going to be the one that make you get off late, you know? So yeah. while I would say the majority of the time they are making the correct decision, they are going to make the wrong decisions here and there. Sure. Let it exactly. go. They're, yeah. they're human, you know, and considering the number of decisions they have to make all the time, like, yeah, I mean, if you look at statistically, it's insignificant, you know, it's one or two or three or four wrong out of a thousand a day. That's tiny. That's a better ratio than most people you'll ever meet. But the problem yeah. is from your perspective, it's those those are the only four decisions they made about yeah. you specifically all day and they were all wrong you know like yeah that and makes yeah. Me like, god they're incompetent no they're not and, and listen here dave you missed sepsis on that last patient care so like <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe you deserve to get off a little late today i don't yeah, know yeah that would be a you could do that every iv you miss is, a, is an extra 15 minutes late like that's just what it is <laughs> Oh, you missed an IV today? Yeah, oh, yeah. sorry. Change your yeah. off time. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Mandatory overtime. Absolutely. I, I, I think what, what ultimately what we're like, what this brings, like the perspective allows you to have some resilience because like if you think that people are out to fuck you over every shift or if that's how you feel, if that's the perception, then like you're not going to, why would you work? Why would you do that? Why would you go to work right. every day? And it just, it, how can you have a positive work attitude? And I think to like to survive in this field, there has to be like, there has to be some level of resiliency um, and, you know, understanding that people are going to make mistakes and uh, that, you know, sometimes, you know, like you need the coin to flip heads, but it flips tails and you're like, no, no, no. Um, <laughs> and uh, you just have to kind of find a way to, uh, to go through it. I, I like using humor. Um, but I definitely have had times where, you know, like we get told, Hey, you just got done with this intense call, by the way, now we have a 400 pound patient that's intubated that needs to go and, you know, an hour and a half North, they have all the drips. Uh, they want to know if you can take the LVAD and, and you just, you you know, you go like, I'm not going to get to sleep tonight. And, yeah. and you just need a moment to just be like. I just need a moment to be mad inside, not outside, yes. because I don't need to ruin anyone else's day with yeah. Why? I just need a moment, like, hey guys, uh, I'm gonna need a moment to just 
to be upset with this. Oh God, <laughs> I've had one partner that I've worked with where we were walking out to a flight and it was late. I, I, I was internally grumpy and this partner's just cussing up the storm on the way out. And I finally stopped and said, hey, I feel the same way you do, but right now you're not helping. Yeah. This is just making it worse. And uh, and they're kind of like, oh, 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 okay. I'm like, I, I don't disagree with you. I, I don't want yeah. to be here either. <laughs> but like, can you stop? No, I, I definitely do think that attitude can make or break your whole day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've thrown one pillow. We got told at like midnight that our pilot had to drive us like two hour, two and a half hours away uh, to take a patient because there, there was just no way that any flight assets could get out there. And then that we were going to go by ground for like a six hour journey. And I, oh. you know, it's like, it's midnight and I was just like, I'm tired and I don't want to like, and it was the first time, like I was in the, you know, the privacy of my room and I was like, I want to hit something. So I like threw the pillow and I was like, yeah, but did you I, feel better? No, no. But no. you know, like you get in the car and like, you know, it's, it's, it's just kind of like an endurance race, you know, it's like, all right, this is the part where I hate everything and everything sucks. And uh, I don't want to, I don't want to be here. Why the hell did I sign up for this? And then, you know, suddenly the pilot's like, oh, I found this song on the radio. And, and then you're just, you know, you're singing Taylor Swift as you're driving out to the yeah. coast. <laughs> <sighs> Look what you made yeah. me do. Yeah. Look, <laughs> Look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. So I heard you guys had a little bit of a, a collaboration earlier today. Yeah. 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 We uh, collaborated with the Standard of Care podcast. Yeah. That's really cool. I don't. I haven't heard of that one, so I'll have to look them up. It's uh, they they look at legal issues in the uh, uh, one of them's a lawyer and the other one's a uh, fire chief, and so they talk about like legal aspects of EMS or uh, they'll talk about you know cases um, uh, like there was a paramedic who punched a patient and there were, you know the two paramedics in Illinois who uh, who just downright murdered the uh, the dude. They talk you about check that out. Yeah, we, we uh, yeah. Spencer and I reviewed body cam footage of that on our rapid sequence info yeah. YouTube channel. Yeah, it's intense. The body cam it's... footage is hard. It's hard to watch. They just mistreat this guy left and right. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's one of those calls where uh, the police were actually like really kind. <laughs> the <laughs> like, most compassionate people. They're, they're compassionate. Yeah. And, and it's kind of funny. The police's attitude doesn't change towards the guy until the medics come in and start treating the guy like shit. And the police still don't treat the guy like shit. In fact, at one point, they're, they kind of like tell the the one of the medics to like, hey, like, chill, you know, like, like you're all right. Yeah, yeah. I understand. Yeah, exactly. You know, but uh, for the most part, the cops were really compassionate. And uh, that was just like, yeah. Uh, anyway, it's awful. But you should watch it. Like, if you're like, oh, yeah, I'm yeah, so angry. Yeah. You know, if you want to watch really a murder get... take place. Yeah. <laughs> I really want to be love, angry. I love right that now. stuff. Let's go. Let's go check it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not even a murder mystery. Yeah, I will. I'll check out your guys' other show because I didn't realize that you guys had another show. Yeah. I'd seen the announcement for it, but I hadn't seen it. Yeah, it's on YouTube. It's Rapid Sequence Info. All right, cool. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, if I ask you what's your favorite call, you know, what's the first one that comes to your to your mind? Oh gosh. Spence, you'll have to go first. Um, I have a lot of favorites, but they're all essentially I mean, like my favorite calls are the calls where um, just things all go right, you know, like I, right. like I remember calling a buddy of mine and like talking about this, you know, this like patient was, you know, drowning in uh, 
their lung fluids and it just like it went so fast and i was you know it's like you're in that flow state where everything's just working and everyone's kind of working together and and I remember telling him about it and he was just like, oh, this is just a CHF patient. And I was like, no, but it wasn't, damn it. Cause like it all <laughs> like, dude, I got the IV, I got the 12 lead quick. Like I listened to lung sounds and like everyone that was there who usually like take charge, they were just like, nah, man, you got this, you got, you're doing great. Like just yeah. take this home. Like <laughs> this is your <laughs> home run, finish the, yeah. Finish running around the bases. And uh, it, you know, like it wasn't, it, you know, it's not a, an amazing call like it's it's actually really boring overall you know but like yeah it it stands out just because it went so well or the you know they're just like the the weird calls where there's always that like you know if there is humor to be found i will find it and i will revel yeah. in it you know like <laughs> oh gosh yeah th those are th those are my favorite calls yeah i don't know my uh like a specific favorite call oh my goodness there are there's a lot of good ones. One of the ones that I did recently that was really cool on the flight side of things is I like calls where we don't have a lot of resources, but it goes well anyway. Like, yeah. I, mm -hmm. I really like to see, like, because a lot of calls go well, but it's like, okay, yeah, it went well because we arrived on scene and there were four paramedics who all knew each other really, really well and practiced with each other. And the patient was like a code 99 where, don't get me wrong, like a code 99 can be complicated and it's difficult. Uh, it can be complicated, but like, gosh, if you know the algorithm you're following and you've got a crew that works with each other and knows it, like, it's not that challenging. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, okay, yes. well, yeah, like the airway was super easy. That was taken care of. And to me, like, I'll forget about those. But one that was awesome that we had recently was, uh, it was complicated and that was my fault. The reason it was my fault was because I was working with a new word nurse uh, to our flight agency. And I said, you know, the one thing I miss about ground EMS is that you were first on scene a lot and you got to kind of start calls from scratch versus when you're in flight, sometimes you'll be first on scene or you'll be arriving around the same time because our agency will self-land. We like to have LZs. We don't need to have an LZ. We can be in the air and be like, oh, that's flat enough. Go there. You know, we can do that. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I've only been on a handful of calls where... I landed and went in with EMS. I've actually never beat EMS to a call. I've never been like, there's the patient, and then land and then run to him or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, but oftentimes, <laughs> but I have had calls where I land and then I've hopped on a truck and then they're like, hey, we're still extricating the patient from down this hill. And so you're really gonna be the first responder to actually treat them by the time you have the patient up. I've done that. But uh, that being said, I'd said that. And I'm like, yeah, I missed that about ground EMS. So you did that all the time. And then literally our next call that we got was a rollover, uh, a rollover, I gotta be careful what I say because this ended up making the news. So I'm gonna be kind of vague, so I apologize. But it was a rollover MBA with three patients. And one of the patients, which was really bad off, was ours, was put into a BLS only ambulance. And she's combative and intoxicated. And they take her to the LZ where, we're, where we've landed. And we get back there and nothing's done. Because they're like, hey, we're BLS. Like, I can't sedate her, I can't do anything. She's fighting us. We're basically just restraining this patient and that's all we can do. And she's got a bloody mucousy airway. She's spitting blood out left and right, like all this stuff. And I'm like, oh goodness gracious, we're here and it's complicated. And it's me, my nurse, this EMT that's in the back and the EMT's husband uh, who has no certification. And there's a firefighter <laughs> driving. There's a firefighter driving who also has no certification. 
And that's oh, it. lovely. And so it's like, all right, well, I, I guess we're running this. And it went so incredibly well that it was just awesome. Cause like my nurse, like this is gonna be her first intubation. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, hey, we need to intubate this patient. Do you want to do the intubation? And if she had said, no, I don't want to do it. I wouldn't have blamed her because this was, this was not the one to learn on necessarily. But yeah. um, I'm like, she's like, yeah, I really want to do it. I'm like, okay. So it was one of those things where I, I, I walked out, I told the pilot, hey, go ahead and cut the engine. Uh, Cause here's the thing, the patient hemodynamically stable. Okay, I'm not too worried about that. Uh, I'm just worried that this is a head injured patient with blood and, blood and mucus in the airway. And as we all know with head injuries, that can go south really quick. And her ability, if she, if she doesn't have the ability to protect her own airway here in a little bit, well, it's full of stuff that she's going to aspirate. And this this patient could end up being very seriously uh, in deep shit if we don't secure an airway early on. And she's otherwise young. I don't foresee, aside from some suctioning, I don't foresee a lot of difficulties getting this one. Um, so we should be okay. So I offered it up to her and she's like, yeah, I want to do this. My first innovation. I'm like, okay, let's do it. And so normally our goal is to be from skids down to skids up or from patient contact to skids up is uh, 15 minutes or less. And we're pretty good at, at accomplishing that. Uh, but this one we dragged out to about 27 minutes, uh, which is, I'm like mm -hmm. about, I looked at the exact type as 27 minutes, but anyway, so uh, anyway, <laughs> so it took about 27 minutes, but it's like, Hey, we have the opportunity here. And so what we did was I had the guy who has no certification whatsoever. I'm like, okay, he's going to squeeze a bag. That's what he's going to do. And it was awesome. I got to be PIC and assigned stuff. The nurse got to do her first innovation and we did the pre-oxygenation, which we preach on the show all the time, pre-ox, pre-ox, pre-ox. We pre-oxygenated the, the crap out of the patient for like three minutes, so we denitrogenated the lungs. And mm -hmm. so their safe apnea time was greatly extended and nurse went in with the tit with the uh, laryngoscope. She went to innovate, didn't get the first one. That was fine because we had assigned the guy who had uh, no certification whatsoever. We're just going to call him Dave. We assigned Dave. I'm like, hey, Dave, you're going to stare at the SAT monitor. And whenever it changes, you just call out the number. And so my partner's sitting there innovating, and Dave's like, all right, nine to seven, nine to six, back up to nine to seven, nine to six. And he just did that the entire time. We never got below 96 the entire time. And we had took us. Two, That's fantastic. Yeah, and it took us two attempts, and we got it on the second attempt, and it was gravy, and the whole thing went just so great. We had like no resources, and my partner's like riding high because she just got her first two, but she did a great yeah. job. The only reason she didn't get the first attempt was because I picked too big of a tube for her. I'm like, try it, try this one, and then it didn't fit, and it's like I can't get it to fit. I'm like, oh yeah, you should have selected a smaller one. Well, you selected the tube. I I know. Here you go. You know, and did it that way. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, it worked out, but it worked out awesome. So that's my favorite call in recent memory, I would say. That's fantastic. And do you guys feel comfortable sharing one of your worst calls? Yeah, mm. I mean. You start. Yeah. So I I, I think, you know, the, the worst call I've ever been on was a, uh, it was a log truck accident out in the middle of BFE um, where like, you know, there I was the only responder as a that was a paramedic um uh and uh that it was like yeah the off a road ejection you know there, there's dead people and there might be a car in the logs and i you know like you kind of get comfortable or you know like i i got comfortable because i went i started working in an area where there like there were always paramedics and so like mm -hmm. if you ever found yourself in a situation where you're like 
I don't really know what to do. Like your your partner go, well, you should do this obvious right thing. Oh, okay, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, they'd be like, hey, uh, why are you putting an IV in? Um, well, they need an IV. Well, what's their blood pressure? Oh yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, I'll uh, I'll check that first. You know, like yeah, maybe yeah. <laughs> maybe get some vitals before you start doing things. Um, yeah. And you know, like I I worked out in this area um, because I was told to, but I was really uncomfortable because uh, you're essentially the only paramedic, and so uh, this had just gotten me. This call came in kind of right at the point where I figured out that even out here 90 percent of the calls are really kind of not actually emergencies and so this mm -hmm. was like the real first one where uh you know i described it i was like i was hurtling down the road far faster than i ever wanted to be and even if we had been like going a mile an hour like i i didn't want to be there you know it's like i don't yeah i don't want to be a part of this and my partner is just like next to me going like yo did you hear oh man you know and i'm going like uh <laughs> like why did i do this oh god oh god and um, it was a very overwhelming scene. And there were a lot of things that, you know, like I look back and I'm like, man, I, I, I could have done this and I could have done that. And like, ultimately it didn't make a difference. Cause like the only person that was salvageable from that was the, like remarkably uninjured. And yeah, wow. really like that was, that was, that was the piece is like, they just needed to get out of there. Um, yeah, but I couldn't get a set of vitals because of the like the way it was set up, and I you know like there was no way I was going to start an IV. And honestly, at a certain point, I was just like, yeah, I'm, all I'm doing here is just like holding this kid off a off a engine block uh, next to their you know deceased parent. Uh, yeah, and uh, and and that was that was my job as EMS. And like uh, a flight company landed, and they were like, hey. What, what's you know what's the report and uh it, like it messed up the person's name you know it's like oh it's uh you know josh and they're like oh josh and that's you know someone else was like it's sam it, obviously not real names uh well yeah. sam obviously is a real name but josh no, is definitely not. made up yeah um you know because like it, it, yeah and they're like oh what are his vitals you know it's like Oh, I don't know. I didn't get any. <laughs> <laughs> but he's alert talking to me the whole time. Thanks. So, uh, yeah, good. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's just it was it, it was a, just an overwhelming scene. And there's so many things that, you know, like if I had been there now, I would you know, like if you could go back and do it uh, again, it would I would have done it you know, much differently. Again, it didn't change any of the outcome. Um, no. And nor would doing it differently. Uh, I would just feel better about it because I, you know, I. I would have done the job better. Um, and, you know, there would be less opportunity to miss things. And that's, I mean, like the worst calls are the ones where because you, you missed something and because you missed something, something bad happened. And it's not be, like, it might not be because you missed something, something bad happened, but you had an opportunity to intervene and you didn't. And those are the calls that really, like, those are the ones that I, I drive you know, like I'm driving home and I go like, ah, God damn it. Like I, I noticed this thing and I should have said something or, ah, I skipped this step. And I, if I hadn't skipped that, then I would have been able to intervene and, you know, get this airway or I recognize that, you know, the, that sound shouldn't have been there. 
you know like yeah there's just those are the calls that really kind of suck and eat you up is when you feel like you had an opportunity to intervene and didn't that that's what also makes you a better provider because those are the opportunities that you get to learn from yes the wake of dead people behind you is what will eventually save the person in front of you yes yes (laughs) i killed 27 people to get to this one save yeah 27 (laughs) yeah um Gosh, for me, you know, it's funny. I, I had one call in mind, and then Spencer started talking about what makes a hard call, and I'm like, oh, well, that's to fit that category too. And I, I think we can talk about like, like what's a hard call? You know, I mean, it's like different calls are harder for different reasons, right? Yeah. Like you have yeah. patient condition. It's like, all right, this was a bad call because the patient condition was really, really bad, and it really, really relied on us getting stuff correct. And if we didn't get it correct, it was going to be bad. And then we didn't get it correct, and it went bad. You know, that kind of stuff. Then you have calls that are hard because. Uh, you know, maybe the patient condition isn't something you can control, or maybe it actually goes okay. Maybe you as a team perform admirably, but the situation just sucks. And it's emotionally hard to be there. And I've got too many calls that line up with that. And I, I think what it kind of comes down to is I think what will make it hard for people as a provider is when there's some kind of connection to you personally. Because I'll tell you this, seeing somebody dead, um, that doesn't yeah, you you forgot a dead body. Uh... Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there, there's a story that, that I used to tell, and that was uh, we had a day where we just got slammed the entire day, and I was trying to remember, like, with my partner, I'm like, "Go, what was the first call we ran? Like, we got slammed." And I'm like, "Oh, it was this inner facility we ran." He's like, "Oh, yeah, that's right." And then I got home, and I'm like making myself something to eat, and I'm like, "No, that wasn't it." Like, the first call we ran was actually that uh, that DOA where we just got on scene and called the medical examiner. And I realized, I'm like, I forgot about a dead body as though that was the frosted flakes I had that morning. Like, it was like, that's <laughs> yeah. the same category. It's what I had for breakfast. You know, it's the same category. But what I don't forget, though, is because here's the thing. I can't relate to being dead. I've never been dead. Not once. And mm. so Not yet. <laughs> I can't relate to it. Um, but what I can relate to is losing somebody. And I think a lot of people can relate to that is losing somebody near and dear. And so for me, like seeing the family's reactions to loss I, I think that is when it gets really hard and um, you know, there's that. So I, I think uh, when, it, when there's something that ties to you or when you fail, those are the two hard ones. And so for me, the other thing that'll tie to me is like kids. Like I, I know that like everyone says kids, but like it gets a little bit different once you become a parent as well, I think. And when you can see your own kid uh, because suddenly like that parental instinct kind of kicks in a bit. Right. And so for me, there was a call at a, at a nearby lake. It's a man-made lake. And so the problem with the lake, is that you have the water level well the uh the ground level beneath the water because it's man-made it goes like this and then it goes chomp chomp like that and so some people aren't aware that there's a big difference there and they think it's yeah. just going to be gradual and so for all the audio can't... people for all the audio people the chomp oh, chomp was just a big drop off yeah yeah gotcha yeah, buddy. yeah sorry <laughs> no. it goes out yeah. at good, one good level. catch spencer <laughs> yeah it goes out at one level it's more like a a, a think about giant stairs under the water right so you, yeah. you're flat, then it drops straight off, then it's flat again. And that's how this man-made lake is made. And so people aren't aware of that. And they think it's going to be a gradual slope. And so they'll go walking out into the water. And they can't swim, but they're like, well, I don't need to worry about swimming. It goes up to my shins. You know, who cares? But then they drop off. And so uh, I went on a call once where no one really knew what had happened at first. But we figured it out because we found a cell phone. And this was back in the times when you didn't. Nowadays, everyone's cell phone's locked, right? Um, that 
people didn't always use to lock their cell phones. And uh, so what had happened was we were called to the scene of a child. We'll just pick a random age here. Well, I also, they're four years old. And they were four years old, uh, found unconscious and responsive in the lake. And we get there and we're doing compressions and we're getting nothing. I mean, it, it's slow PA to a systole, slow PA to a systole, and then a systole, a systole. Uh, we call for OLMC. I'm like, we need to probably discontinue this. And they're like, and I get, of course, we called online medical control and they they give me the most inexperienced doctor ever because they're like, hey, we're, <laughs> we're busy. Uh, new guy, take this, you know? And they're like, well, just bring him <laughs> here. And I'm just like, okay. Uh, and then, I love that. yeah. And then the helicopter lands and they come up and they're like, hey, uh, what happened? And they're like, we're going to call our physician advisor who's a little more on the level. And so they did. And our, their physician advisor said, no, you can call that in the field. And so they did. Yeah calling it a field um but what ended up happening was uh because we're sitting there like we got a four-year-old where's the family because the people who brought us to the four-year-old were not the kid's family and uh i remember being on that scene and i walked up and i see these first responders are panicked they're just running with the kid towards the ambulance and i said stop right there and start cpr and, and they're like oh okay and they stopped they did cpr i'm like we got to run this here because everyone's panicked right I'm like you can't just yeah. you can't just throw someone in the ambulance and drive and hope for the best that's not how these things work no. people don't get better that way uh and so we start doing the code uh i end up being the only paramedic on scene thankfully though this volunteer department that i'm with is they're honed because they they run calls all the time they're all volunteer but they're busy you know and so yeah this one panicked him but once i was able to be like hey we're starting cpr like these are the guys it's like yeah they're on top of cpr they're on top of getting equipment they're on top of everything it's like okay it was it was great to work with them um but once we called the code we're trying to figure out like what's going on like where is this kid coming from there's this dog that keeps running around up and down this little uh like pet purse dog you know and um the dog seems to kind of be hovering around this one table so the sheriff's department goes over there and uh my partner's still in the back with the with little call a patient the body now but um you know back in there with the body awaiting the mx and i walk up with the uh with the police and we find the cell phone and the cell phone basically shows what happens and what it was is you end up having a there was a family of four and the child was one of the four and uh an older it looked like an older child had walked out and who couldn't swim and then dropped off mom went in to try and save him disappeared grandma who was there went in to try to save him disappeared and the four-year-old was left and then tried to go in and save his whole family and of course he can't because he's four and um so the whole family actually died in that one day and so to me you know i mean like and this was my first like pediatric code uh, as a dad and so to me it was like not just like seeing that kid in that situation but also like imagining you know, that kid just kind of watching his family go and, and trying, you know, it's hard to see kids try and take on re- adult responsibilities and to know that like, that's the last thing he tried to do was try to save his family was just, it was rough. It was really hard for a number of, for a while still is hard to talk about. Um, but yeah, there was that call and I, I just, I call it the late call. And so that is my, that is my roughest call. I mean, again, like the call itself went fine. I mean, we ran, the, I mean, yeah. we ran the code great. Um, I was actually approached by the train director and I knew her really well at the time. She's like, Hey, we were going to give you guys an award. Um, question for you and your partner. Do you just want to, do you want us to just hand it to you or do you want to do like the thing in front of the meeting and all that stuff? And I'm like, for me, if you could just hand it to me or just put it in my record somewhere, that's fine. Like I don't want to stand up and walk in front of people and, and get something. And my partner agreed. And so we, we didn't. Um, but yeah, that is the toughest call I ever ran. Yeah. That one's, 
That one's hard. Um, yeah. Did they end up having to bring the resources in to get the rest of the bodies out? They did. They it took them. I think it took them two days to find the other uh, three. Maybe it didn't take two days. Wow. I don't remember, but it took them a while to find the other three bodies. But yeah, so I wasn't there for that part. They found them after I'd gone home and gone to sleep and all that stuff. That took a while, but uh, yeah. There did was you that. take time off for that? I don't think so. Actually, I if I recall correctly, it was actually my last day in a stint of days because we worked a two two three schedule. Which, if someone's not familiar with the two two three, it can actually be kind of a blessing. Uh, so. On the two to three schedule uh, at that particular agency, I would work Thursday, Friday, then have Saturday, Sunday, Monday off. And so I think this was actually my Friday and I had Saturday, Sunday, Monday off at that point. Uh, so I had the next three days off anyway. So I didn't take any extra time. Um, probably should have, but I didn't. And how do you how do you deal with uh, the ghosts in your closet? Oh, well, I keep the closet shut. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, well, that's an interesting topic particularly right now. Uh, so I've always had a very supportive uh, family structure in the sense that, uh, you know, my dad was in EMS for a long time, but he just recently passed away within the last two months. Uh, oh, I'm sorry so, to hear that. So, yeah, no, it's, been, it's been a thing. But, um, yeah, so that, that's always been kind of an outlook for me uh, was that. But I think the important thing, especially for others out there, is a lot of agencies either do offer well, a lot of agencies currently offer what you call an EAP or employee assistance program. And through that, you do have free counseling a lot of times. And we have that through our current agency. I haven't personally used it um, through our current agency. I did use it through our uh, last agency. Um, that can be really helpful. And so it's one of the things where it's like, uh, you know, if you don't have a good family support system, sometimes even if you do, people should be going to therapists like they go to get regular checkups, is my opinion. Yeah, you know, like, like if you... If you go to a dentist regularly, if you go to your personal care physician regularly, you should be seeing uh, a therapist regularly as well, or just a counselor, someone to talk to regularly, um, just because it just makes so much sense, you know, and it, it, it's a, to me, it's like any other system in the body, your your mental and emotional health is just like your, your kidney or your heart or your, uh, you know, any other organ or any other health system. And is that something that you practice or do you just preach it? I have practiced it. I'm not I'm currently mostly just preaching, uh, but <laughs> that's okay. No, that's good, okay. good catch there. That's no, okay, like, liar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> no, no, you saw me trying to weasel out of the technicality there. That was good. Good catch. You're a good interviewer. Uh, but there you go. That's. Uh, I, I ask because a lot of us preach it and a lot of us don't practice it, you know, and it, it yeah. it's hard to find a good provider that can help take care of us in the way that we need to be taken care of, especially in EMS or in the healthcare fields. But yeah. in my defense, I let all my other doctor's appointments go by the wayside too. So I'm not just treating mental health like yeah. a oh, okay. bastard child. Okay? Yeah. I'm unhealthy from, from, from my toes to the top of my head. So yeah, there you go. So there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's good to know. Yeah. Except for the dentist. The dentist <laughs> is the one appointment I consistently keep. <laughs> that's... <laughs> Well, get yourself back into treatment. That's I, fair. Yeah. I, I, I one uh, regular to see a therapist. So uh, there we've got. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm Spencer and I see a therapist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think there's two things that, like, you know, like you spend so much time in paramedic school and EMT training, kind of learning how to get into that flow state, you know, where you're like, there is nothing else. There's just the operational things that uh, I need to do. Like, 
yeah, that sucks about your kid, but I need to fix them. So I cannot think about how sad this is because then I can't do the things that need to happen to right. fix this, you know, like it, it, it just becomes sort of noise in the background. And, 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 and we, I think we, we try and continue that outside of the call too. You know what I mean? Because it's uncomfortable. It it doesn't feel good to, you know, go like, wow, that was probably the last Christmas they're going to have with that grandma. You know, like that's, yeah. Yeah. You know, like that's, that sucks. Um, and I, I think there's sort of this idea that like, we don't care. And I think we try and live up to that persona sometimes when like the reality is is that i can go on a call and i can work in that call and be fine but afterwards like i'm going to feel things you know like when you go on the you know the the child that died because the drunk driver decided to drive drunk and you know fucking head on into another car and needlessly kill a bunch of people like yeah like in the moment you know like i can cheer as my partner gets a intubation and like the call is running so smooth and then i can also be sad later and i think that's the that's the piece is like like i love the flow state i love being able to it feels it's very empowering to be able to like here's a crisis we have to work through it we're going to do that you know like everybody shut up with your feelings let's move forward you know let's trudge forward and then at the same time like later on find a way to let go and i think you know like I don't necessarily know that you need a therapist. Like I don't talk shop with my therapist because they're not a paramedic, but I have a really good group of like of people that I work with or that I've worked with that I've collected over the years. And some, I can just go like, Hey, uh, this call sucked. And, you know, and I, they're not, you know, like they understand and, you know, like they'll, and they'll call me up and say, dude, I ran this call and it went shitty and you just you get to you just kind of share in that and yeah. in 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 sharing and that's like that's the piece is like it's you it's not enough to just sort of acknowledge that it's sad but like i think we're human and therefore we're a social species and so like you have to share and have that understood to su like feel like you are understood to be able to kind of move forward and so yes. like through sharing you know, whatever it is, whatever's upsetting you and having it acknowledged and, you know, understood, uh, that allows you to kind of move forward. Um, so, uh, you know, if you don't want a therapist, which is fine, um, what you do is you find strangers on a bus and you just, <laughs> you just unload all your personal problems onto them and you pay your bus fare. It's the cheapest therapy session That's, you'll ever get. Uh... <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> probably shouldn't do that <laughs> that's how that's where i collect people riding the city bus yeah but I, random people might give me some interesting uh advice you know so maybe I, it's not that i need their advice it's just that i need them to listen and to i need to feel understood and uh and the, the, the same way i will listen and understand about how the government took their car away from them and uh you know yeah yeah oh man yeah that government aliens. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. No, I agree. I agree. You don't necessarily have to have a therapist as long as you have a good support system, kind of like you've you've said here. And I take that in all aspects. You know, I've had I've had 
people get offended because we might be running a critical care call and I might have a question on something that I'm not super comfortable with. And I'll call, you know, my backup friend who I know will know the answer to this question. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as you feel like you're getting your feelings out and you're not leaving anything inside. Sure. Yeah. So going in a little bit of a different direction, what made you guys start your podcast? Uh, greed. No, I'm kidding. Greed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I've said this before, and sometimes people find out that I was actually on another podcast before this one. And they're like, I feel cheated on because you didn't tell me about this. But um, what? Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> what? Uh, I was on another podcast called Medical Stuff uh, for a little bit. And I'd started that with that person just for fun. And it was a lot of fun and we enjoyed it. Um, but it was um, difficult to monetize for a number of reasons. One of them being that it was targeting a general audience. And not that I only get into doing podcasts for monetization purposes, but when you're trying to release weekly uh, episodes, which is what we were trying to do on that one, um, it starts to cost money, you know, and it starts to cost time. And if you're not making any money uh, from that, like it gets very difficult to keep doing it. And so while we had a very decent following, the pond we were playing in was a big, big pond because it was, we were looking for a general audience and trying to talk about medical things from the perspective of you know two paramedics that was palatable for anybody and so we'd pick up we wouldn't just talk about ems we'd talk about you know we, we had a you know we did an episode on covid when covid was happening we did an episode on chili peppers yeah or erectile dysfunction you know like it, it was just like we did anything mm -hmm. that was medical whatsoever i would say most of it wasn't even ems related so our audience yeah. was so broad that it became very very difficult and so I, and the other thing too is um, because it was so broad, it was difficult for me to really get into it. And, and after a while, like I, I admit, it, it did become kind of more of a, um, I don't want to call it a chore, it wasn't, but it started to feel more like a job, you know? And it was just kind of like, okay, like I got to write this episode or I got to get this done. And I'm not saying EMS 2020 doesn't have that, it does. But uh, Spencer had actually guest starred on that one a couple of times. And Spencer and I, once we were camping, actually, and we cracked a beer and we were kind of kind of like, you know, it'd be funny is if we just did one that was because we have done a few like EMS only episodes with medical stuff. I'm like, what do we do a podcast where it's just EMS? And we just reviewed calls. And Spencer's like, yeah, I'm kind of thinking about that, too. Or that sounds awesome or something like that. And we agreed that you know we'll give it a shot. And so we kind of put it together. We took I took a lot of the lessons that I had learned from doing the previous podcast um, and was able to apply it to this one. And we kind of took off and it was kind of one of the things where I think we started just kind of uh, like to get the calls was kind of the biggest challenge. And so, cause we didn't have the reach that we have now. And so we were trying to get calls from people we knew that worked in other systems farther away from us because we mm -hmm. didn't want to like, you know, get in trouble with any sort of HIPAA. And so everything was like phone calls to people. And it was a lot more like, Hey man, do you have a call? Or, you know, we heard a rumor <laughs> about one call this one time. Can you elaborate on that? Cause we want to do this. Yeah. And of course, like, you know, people are like, what are you going to do with this call? You're going to put it on a podcast and fuck no, I'm not going to tell you yeah, the call. No. Like that's it. Uh, but we finally got a few of them and it worked out and uh, the podcast did well. But then at one point it just, exploded like i think our first episode where all of a sudden we saw a huge spike was the episode i think it's icy dead people i mean we had kind of been steadily climbing 
in terms of number, but then we did Icy Dead People, which is one where this one paramedic, she walks into the scene and she has two people who code and she runs two codes simultaneously and rocks it. And that episode just exploded. And so then we had people and we'd give an email address at the start, like, hey, like send us an email if you have a call. And then we started getting emails and it became easier to do do that. And then Spencer had this idea of like, hey, let's do an online form where people just go on, they fill out a form. And he did that where it became really easy for people to plug in calls. And now we're swimming in calls. We have an endless Scrooge McDuck vault of calls that we could possibly pull That's from. fantastic. You know, yeah. and then um, I would say probably this year more than any other, uh, we've been able to do more and more sponsored episodes, which is why we had to, to finally start the actual uh, company, Long Pods <laughs> Media. Uh, so yeah, then we, yeah. So it's, it's yeah. gotten pretty crazy, but I think we just started it to... Uh, to do something we thought would be useful because I think both Spencer and I felt that there's a lot of hurdles you don't see coming. And so we're like, well, let's make a podcast where we just review calls and try and expose those hurdles. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like the idea of, you know, it's, it's one thing that sucks about case reviews is like oftentimes case reviews, they don't, you're not there. You don't, you, you, you yeah. don't get enough of the like operational bits there, you know, so it's, it's sort of easy to, you know, to crucify the people who, you know, like made a mistake or, Oh, well, they should have done this better. Um, and, uh, I, I wanted to, I wanted to do that side justice, you know, where you, you, you run through calls and you, I, you know, like we, the, the thing that I like the most is that, it's not just about what happened. It's sort of about, well, how did, how did you feel about that? Okay. This happened. And then what were your thoughts? Um, you know, and you know, it, uh, and, and that, cause that just gives you so much more information than, all right, well, uh, your blood pressure is 180 over, you know, 122. Their heart rate is 130. Um, and, uh, here you go. What are you going to do now? You know, like that, you know, like, I don't know, go to the hospital, you know, like, well, yeah. <laughs> our, our, I mean, our Transport. episode, our episode out right now, you know, and Ashlyn and I actually pointed that we we did a the episode we did with uh, Ashlyn O'Dell. She had actually pointed out several times, like, hey, like you have you know, the, the real calls are not NREMT scenarios, you know. Uh, and if you have listeners that aren't familiar with the NREMT, it's the National Registry of Emergency Medical Technicians. Most states recognize uh, their certification as a valid certification, and then we'll issue you a state certification. Um, but yeah, they. There's a lot of testing that goes through NREMT where they give you scenarios. And most of those scenarios just focus on, you know, uh, assessment and treatment. They don't really focus on logistics. And it's one of those things where we've talked about this on the show before is that very seldom do call, do calls go wrong because someone walked in and suddenly forgot ACLS. You know, that it's not really, yeah. I mean, it happens, but it's not <laughs> the majority of the calls we get, you know? It's always yes. something logistical. And in this most recent call we did, you know, we had a patient who had a severe trauma. They had a piece of T-post, uh, which is like for fencing, through their head. And it's kind of like, okay, how do we immobilize this guy? How do we put an O2 mask on him? How do we innovate this guy if like moving his head back and it's stopped by the bar on the other side? You know, like <laughs> yeah. how do all these things happen? And then it's like, okay, do I bring, but you know, and this patient, they're also in the middle of what's a fairly large, like the scene is large. And so it's not like 
a medical call where you're you're going to a house and the patient's in the house, which don't get me wrong, there are facilities that are like mansions that that could get difficult. But this is a call where there's a broad, there's any number of locations somebody could be. Yeah, people say, oh, the patient's this way, the patient's this way. And like one of the logistical problems is like, okay, do I bring all my kits and my stretcher and everything to where these people are telling me to go only to find out they're wrong and now I've committed all my equipment to the wrong area that I didn't have to, you know, huff by foot. You know, in that case, I mean, I rant all the time about, hey, bring all your kits in. But in that case, do you want to bring all your kits in? And it's things like this. These are the hurdles that NREMT, and this isn't a knock against NREMT, by the way, but there are just certain things that you cannot write a test for. You cannot write a textbook for. And uh, that is kind of what we're, that is our aim. And that is what we set out to discover in these cases. And I think what I love the most is actually the interaction we get from our listeners who will be like, oh, actually in this situation, this is what I would have done, you know, and they'll send it to us. It's like, oh, that's a good consideration. Or sometimes they're not good considerations, but a lot of times they are. And so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been a pretty cool, pretty cool ride. It sounds like a, a pretty cool ride. And it, the guy, the stuff that you guys are putting out is amazing. I, thank you. You know, I found you guys by accident and told my one of my buddies who's now with a, a rotor team, you know, take oh, a listen. Cool. And now we constantly we're switching, we're switching podcast ideas up. So That's nice. <laughs> it's it's a strong work, guys. Oh, thank um, you. Appreciate it. Do you have any advice for anybody who might want to be getting started in starting a podcast? starting a podcast um mm-hmm. yes huh. uh <laughs> have <Spencer>. fun that's <laughs> yeah that, like no that, that's th- that really is it because like it there will be times <laughs> yeah <laughs> where you are like god damn it i gotta call another person and like it but like whatever happened like when i record with chris like mm-hmm. we don't let him know but like it's a lot of fun and like <laughs> it it i can come into it with a bad mood and then like we start recording and then we start telling jokes and uh and and then it just it it becomes a very fun experience and uh and that's what keeps me coming back like i you know like i have not I have not made a lot of money off of this uh as you can see with my red blanket uh, background <laughs> um it, ignore uh, the studio that I'm sitting in. Yeah, yeah, ignore the studio. <laughs> Don't worry. This is the. <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah, I I'm surrounded by. I've got uh, Christmas wrapping paper in front of me, and uh, just a, <laughs> like a a hoarder's home worth of stuff that I need to figure out what it is and why it's here behind this red blanket. Um, that, but like finally i'll make it clear i'm not just taking all the money from i mean given all this is bought with company money sure but, sure but <laughs> we're not quitting our jobs anytime soon yeah yeah um yeah i i really think that's the piece is like you be yourself you you enjoy doing the show and uh the rest sort of works itself out um yeah I don't know, but either that or I just got really lucky and sink a half short cut. You know. Oh, half, I, I think we got half. lucky. I, yeah. <laughs> so I'll I'll tell you this. My, my overall mantra for all is, and it's kind of funny because uh, for a while we were involved with a, a educational uh, company that was putting out stuff, and we were talking to one of their potential new creators, and you know we're talking about well a lot of it's luck, you know, and they was like well no 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 you guys put out the effort and all that stuff. And, that's true. I mean, there is no, we put out a ton of effort to make this work. And then you have effort and talent. And the way I kind of look at it is, um, 
and it's going to send a negative message first, but I think it's actually a hopeful message is that when you get started in doing a podcast and you're putting it out there and you're not seeing the listeners come up and you're just not seeing the numbers you want to see, um, don't get discouraged. Uh, here's what it is. Effort and talent are like lottery tickets. Okay. It's still down to luck. A lot of times it is, but if you think about it, like winning the lottery, the chances get better, the more and more tickets you buy. Well, the chances that your podcast is going to do better is the same. So if you keep putting in more effort and putting and, and, and you know improving your talent and the quality of what you're doing, if you keep putting it out there, that's like buying another lotto ticket every time you increase your effort and every time you keep at it. Uh, so that'll you know eventually you'll get lucky. And sometimes, sometimes some people they buy one lottery ticket and they effing win, you know, and, and, it, and it happens. You're like, how did this no talent person on on you know whatever on, on YouTube suddenly make a zillion dollars off this? Hey. They just drew the right lotto ticket, but it, yeah. But if you're not finding that success, the positive, the positive part of this is like, hey, like that doesn't mean your podcast is bad or that you're not talented. It doesn't mean that you won't eventually win. It just means that you haven't hit the luck yet. Keep going. Keep buying lottery tickets, and that would be kind of my my advice is to keep going. The other thing too is um, the best advice. The there's there's that, but the most important piece of starting a podcast is this, and that is start. When I did medical stuff, the first episode, I was so nervous about putting out a good episode. I wanted everything to be perfect. And if, you know, and I edited the crap out of it. We had so much footage, edit, or not footage, but like recording time. And every time I stuttered or said, uh, or, uh, I was trying to edit it out. And it took me days to edit a single hour long episode. And yeah. the episode was boring as fuck. I mean, if you're sitting there, if you wanted <laughs> white noise to fall asleep to, perfect episode. But it was awful. Yes. And it was like the origins of EMS back in World War One. You know, it was just like this stuff. Like, oh who, my goodness. Who would listen to this? And and I sit there editing it and editing it, and it wasn't getting quite right. And then one day I get a text from my partner, Mark, who was working with me on that. He goes, hey, man, I published it. I'm like, what? I hadn't even sent him the edited copy. He just published this? Like, oh, my God. And I was, like, freaking out about it. And, I mean, it's, it's still a crappy episode. Uh, but <laughs> but the thing about it is it was a crappy episode, but we got some positive comments on it. And had it been up to me, I don't know that I ever would have released that episode ever because it was never going to be perfect. Cause the episode you, you can't, you can only polish a turd so much. Right. And yeah. I, yeah. And, and I was so nervous about it. I, I was literally thinking about how do I tell Mark that we don't publish this one or that we try and redo it. <laughs> and finally Mark just put it out there and we got some positive comments back and that encouraged me. And so that's, I guess my biggest piece of advice is just start. Yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, and then uh, don't over edit. It doesn't have to be perfect. <laughs> That's great advice. That's you know. actually how I got started was because my friend um, Kevin McFarlane, he has he actually has a podcast called The Art of Nursing. Cool. And I oh, approached nice. him with my ideas and he was like, just start. Yeah. Yeah. Just get started. And that kind of pushed me into talking to my brother-in-law who's uh, sitting on the other side recording um he pushed us to get started and good here we are yeah well good yeah i mean and that yeah that's it just just you have to get started so i guess that's the advice is get started keep going and have fun yeah that's great great advice well 
we're coming up at uh, almost the two hour mark. I just want to give you guys oh, the Lordy. opportunity to <laughs> uh, the opportunity to say anything else that you want to throw in, or if you have any um, anybody you want to shout out or whatever, take the time now. Uh, you know, I think, I mean, of course, check out our podcast. It's EMS 2020. It's on everything. So if you just type in EMS, I believe it's the first one that shows up on most platforms. But uh, EMS 20 slash 20, like hindsight, uh, which was confusing because we started it in the year 2020. And 2020 ended up being like the year of COVID and all sorts of craziness. Yeah. And so I think people are like, oh, man, this is just a show about 2020 sucking. You know, it's, no, it's not. <laughs> it's hindsight's 2020. That's the whole thing. Uh, but yeah, that's our podcast, EMS 2020. Uh, also check out our YouTube channel, which is at Rapid Sequence Info is the handle on uh, YouTube. And um, that's about it. And thank you for having us. This has actually been a lot of fun. This was all. No, I agree. Yeah. You guys have been fantastic. Yeah. Well, I uh, have. Um, you know, I know. Right. I, I, I had to carry the weight. It's fine. Yeah. You totally did. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> that's what they call kidding, him, old, uh, old, old Spencer Atlas. Just the weight of the world on his back. <laughs> yeah. I noticed you didn't take an apple with you to the bathroom this time. <laughs> this time. No, I just moved the bowl in there. All right. The whole bowl? It's just, well, yeah. God. The thing is, the problem is I do keep a bowl of apples like in my house just because I have a son that eats apples nonstop. Mm, and mm, uh, mm. I just, sure. just, I just Spencer's going to come over and uh, every now and then Spencer will bring his kids over. And I just imagine what his kids be like, oh, an apple. I'm like, no, 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 don't eat this. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not this. chocolate. Not, have an avocado, take an orange, anything. <laughs> Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us today on the Noon Podcast. I appreciate you coming out. I've had an absolute blast. Uh, and I look forward to any future events we might do together. I really appreciate you. No, it was so much fun being here. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sam. Yes, thank you, guys. I hope you guys have a good day. <laughs> yep. Oh, we will. We always do. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening. Before we wrap up, we have a few important announcements to share with you. Firstly, we're excited to announce the launch of our brand new 911 Nonsense Facebook group page. It's a community where everyone can go to connect, share ideas, discuss topics from the show, and get all of the most recent updates about the podcast. We'd love to have you join us and be part of the conversation. Next, we want to ask you to rate and review our podcast on your preferred platform. Your feedback means the world to us and helps us reach a wider audience. By rating and reviewing the show, you'll be supporting us in a big way and helping others discover 911 nonsense. If you enjoy what we do and would like to support the podcast even further, we have a few options available. You can visit samspursuit.com to find the links to our 911 nonsense merch page and our recently released noon gear page. Every contribution, no matter the size, goes a long way in helping us continue to better the podcast. We know that not everyone is comfortable being on the podcast, but we still want to hear your stories and experiences. If you have a compelling story and would like to share it to be read by me in a future episode, please reach out to us via email at 911nonsense at gmail.com or through our website's contact section. If you choose to be anonymous, we'll make sure to respect your privacy while sharing your story in a way that resonates with our audience. Thank you again for tuning in. We truly appreciate your support and look forward to bringing you more engaging content in the future. See you next week.